Hello, 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 everyone. <laughs> this is Nick Zatuni, Head of Operations from Coded Minds Team Canada. And I am Ronar Qureshi, the iSteam Integration Specialist at Coded Minds. So, Nick, I believe we have a very special guest with us today. Do you want to introduce who she is? Indeed. Here we are bringing today to you guys my friend, Micah. How is it going there, Micah? It's good. How are you doing? Doing good too. Thanks for joining us in another Code Talks. And I believe that Micah has a lot of uh, a different kind of education experience that we never spoke about yet, Runar. So Micah, before we go forward, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. I'm. Uh, my name is Micah Darlington. I'm a teacher and a youth worker and a, and a local artist as well. And um, so I started working with kids back in probably 2010. I don't even know, 2006, maybe. Um, and it's taken me on a bit of a roller coaster. So I've had my fingers in a lot of different things. But um, yeah, I'm excited to be here and happy to talk about whatever, any way that I can contribute, I will. <laughs> yep. So, uh, Michael, when we were discussing about bringing you here, you mentioned to me that you work in a, in a different aspect of education, that it's very important and emerging in the past, I would say, five years or so, uh, especially in the developed countries like Canada, right, which is teaching for kids with some kind of a, a behavior. I don't even know how it's the, the political right term there, but they, they don't fit the right scope of what school does, right? They have, if you want to put it in that way, that I personally don't like a, a special need, right? Can you describe a little bit of, of how that works? Well, actually, my situation is really, yeah, it is really unique. Um, and it's sort of a job that I kind of, um, I feel like I kind of invented it a little bit. Um, the first, I started with working with at-risk youth, you know, with the kinds of kids that are usually in between either getting some kind of a diagnosis or uh, going to jail. <laughs> I think it's they just, they were so troubled for whatever, a variety of reasons. And most of those have to do with some kind of organic brain disorder of some kind. But um, that was where I started. So right after I graduated from university, I, that's, those are the kids that I worked with. And I learned a lot. <laughs> in a very short period of time, because as many, as many books as you, as you want to read and as many professionals that you want to talk to, nothing will prepare you for working in this, in the field and actually getting your hands dirty, literally <laughs> sometimes with, you know, these tougher kids. Um, so that's, that's where I started. And that's honestly what I fell in love with. And um, I've been kind of fooling around in that field for some time now. I, I went into social work for a while as well. And um, I did that for a while, but it was, that's a rough, that's a rough place to be. And I just didn't feel like I was getting enough of that sort of personal, um, I don't know, gratification probably from, from that field. Um, so now I'm back into the teaching world and, um, and I'm loving doing what I'm doing right now, but the little dude that I'm working with right now, he, um, he has some behavior problems and, um, um, you know, brain Pro, like he has FASD <laughs> among a, a few other problems, uh, struggle things that he struggles with. And uh, it's made it so that he can't actually function in a classroom very well. Um, and when he was very, very young, he had to go through a heart um, surgery. He had to do, you know, there's a series of things that happened that made him regress significantly. So when I started working with him, he didn't even know his ABCs. Um, anymore, even though he was technically in grade one, you know, he should have been 
a little there, but you know, things happen and that's where he was, that's where he was at. And his behavior started to um, increase significantly. Like he would start, he was being sent to timeout rooms and um, he was just little, you know, and I know there's a time and a place. Some people, you know, that's a whole other conversation, timeout rooms, but, <laughs> and we can go down that route if you want to. I've certainly had my share, my share of, you know, experience with those, but, um, you know, no little kid should have to be in that situation. So, you know, it kind of got to a point where his mom was trying to decide whether or not to, you know, take him out of school and homeschool him or whether she wanted to continue to suffer through, you know, trying to get him onto the bus, trying to get him, you know, you know, to function in the classroom, trying, hearing the constant phone calls from teachers saying he did this and he did that. And you need to come and pick him up because he's not able to focus and he can't. And now he's being disruptive or he punched this kid or he did, you know, you know how it is. These kinds of kids have a really hard time. And, um, and it's not their fault. That's the thing, you know, you know, that, but our, our education system is just not set up to easily accommodate a kid like that. We, they tend to kind of end up in sort of special, special education programs, kind of like the Aspen program in Edmonton or, you know, ISS or something like that. So I just kind of think that, um, you know, we got to talking and she said, I would love to give him like do homeschool teaching with him, but I don't have the education and I don't know how to deal with his behaviors. And I don't, I, I can't do it because I have other ch- children. And um, so I said, well, you know, I'm looking for a new job. <laughs> I'm kind of interested in doing something like this where I would be able to basically, uh, you know, be his teacher and only his teacher. And what a cool, pro- what a cool concept, you know, you know, to have such a small one-on-one experience with somebody who, who would never have that chance, really. I mean, EAs do the best they can, but they're usually divided between 20 or 30 kids at any one time, <laughs> just the way their education system is set up. So, um, so yeah, we, you know, it's the way it kind of worked was I ended up getting this position through social services who, who pays for my, my work with him. Um, and I work closely with the school board and the school system to make sure that his education is, you know, as catered to him as, as possible. And, um, but while still meeting those, you know, benchmarks as, you know, as closely as we can based on what he's capable of handling. And, um, so that's what I've been doing for the last three years now. And, um, that has been, it has been a really interesting learning experience because my background is in psychology <laughs> and behavior management. And now I'm, you know, teaching and it, and it's, that's great. And I, and I love that I'm doing it, but it's really given me a really different perspective, I think. Cause I'm not a teacher. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not officially trained as a teacher, but I've had to learn a lot. And I'm really lucky to have uh, some really, really brilliant friends that I can reach out to anytime I want <laughs> to help me, you know, with different ideas and concepts. Um, but I do find that this kiddo is, is very much more about learning how to function in life. Uh, you know, those focus on the life skills is so important. Right. So this is like, it's huge. You pretty, pretty yeah. much gave us the story of your life. And there's a lot of juicy <laughs> details there that we can, you know, kind of scrutinize and give details for all the listeners. And, you know, just to share your experience. Uh, the very first thing that I would like you to, to kind of debrief Unpack. a little bit more 
to tech is literally, okay, so you are combining what feels to me several different roles. The very first role would be of a, a somewhat of a private teacher, right? Because you are that uh, little guy, own, only teacher doing like a homeschooling kind of a model, but still following the, the board of education patterns, but at the same time handling not only his uh, organic kind of a behavior, but also how that shows up in terms of a, a psychology, psychological behavior. That's the way, right? So describe to us, how can you mix all those things together and still make that work? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's, it's been a learning process for sure. Um, when we, when I first started working with him, because his alphabet was so severely, he just couldn't remember his alphabet. He couldn't do basic math. He couldn't, he could barely even communicate properly because of his struggles. He, you know, I think where my approach came from was about learning to learn. <laughs> that's where I started <laughs> was learning to learn because he didn't, um, he had had such a negative experience already um, with learning that I think that for me, as somebody who loves to learn and is passionate about learning and teaching, I, I, it was important to me that I instill or try to instill um, a sense of, of um, loving learning. And so I learned, I learned to, to learn what his interests were. And how I could manipulate him into learning. <laughs> it sounds really awful. But I kind but of, in a positive way, right? <laughs> inspire. Right, yeah. that, that's the political correct, correct <laughs> word that people like to right, use, right? right. Inspired, inspired. Um, yeah, that sounds awful, manipulate him into learning. But there's some truth to that, especially when you're dealing with somebody with behavior problems who, uh, or oppositional defiant disorder, who are really, where you're like, do this. And they're like, mm, I think I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> Just because you said that. Um, so sometimes there is some trickery involved in terms of just kind of uh, teaching without without teaching, you know, that kind of um, finding the passion and working from the passion, working from strengths very much. Working from strengths has been a really big deal, I think. Mm. Not looking at deficits quite so much because the deficits are obvious <laughs> and, and the kids will grow up to understand those deficits. I think it comes, it's harder to learn what your strengths are and to really embrace those. So um, I think that's, that's where I started from. I mean, we, we did the alphabet, but I remember like one of the things he's extremely talented at is art. He's just a very, very artistic kid. And um, so that was where we started. You know, we started with the alphabet and we started with art and we started with, he loves stories. So we focused on that. And that is how we built him. I built him up to, to the point where, I mean, he wanted to read, he wanted to, do his letters. He wanted to, everything can be a game. You know, I think the best kind of learning that, um, that happens happens when we're playing. I think play is a really powerful tool, especially when you're dealing with kids who maybe don't want to learn, you know, you put them at a desk and you say, here you go, do some English or do some math or do some, and you know, <laughs> that is like the most painful way to teach. I think for a yeah. lot of kids. But unfortunately, because it's the way that it, it has to work so the kids fit the system. Right. right. And there's more kids that don't fit the system than we're even, I think, really, truly aware of. <laughs> then and, the system cares too, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And I mean, I see it over and over and over again. And I just, my heart just breaks for them. 
you know, it's like that whole that you remember, you know, have you ever seen that meme of the elephant and the, the monkeys and, and they're like, oh, you have to climb this tree. But of course, the elephant can't climb the tree. Only the monkeys can climb the tree. So, you know, asking a kid to behave like a monkey when they're an elephant is a cruel, cruel thing to do. And I think that that's where my teaching kind of started is what what can he do? What is he capable of doing? And how can I grow from that? So we started from we started with art. We started with music. We started with moving lots of lots of uh like moving learning you know because he needed to be engaged he needed to learn as much as he could so lots of games involving movement and tying things to what he already knew so that it became a um a, a, an organic learning instead mm -hmm. of like a shoving information in their head <laughs> it's better to try and tie it to what they already know right we we all know this. So, you know, over time, that's where it went. And, and gradually we started branching more into, um, I was able to get to know him better. So I understood what he liked better. Right. So I could, I think that's a really important thing and what interests him and how can I use that to teach him yep. about right. everything. So and sometimes it would just be a matter of going for a walk, just like we did today. Um, and we would go out in the, in the world and we would find this plant and we would find this bug and we would find this tree or whatever. And then we would draw that. We would write about it. We would learn its name. We would research it. We, you know, this, there's so much to do just in that alone, where you're covering your sciences, you're covering your art, you're covering your language, you're covering, you know, a lot there of There is a, an education idea that you can educate people from the top to bottom rather than the bottom to top. Right. And when you go out, you see what's out there and then you get down into details that means top to bottom. Whatever is interesting, whatever catches the student's attention, that is what should be taught instead of here is a math book. And once you learn how to count to 10, then we're going to get other you know, concepts of math that might not even be fully usable. But anyway, yes, let's let's Ronar talk a little bit as well. <laughs> Yeah, and I believe that's um, that's something that that's very important that you brought up there, building that organic um, connect, not only the connection with the child, but also teaching them in a way that is kind of tailored to their needs and what they like. So you are kind of persuading them to learn almost. And that is yeah. very nice to hear how you do that on a one on one basis. But I'm kind of curious, um, seeing as we are in a pandemic. How did that complicate that relationship building with that child, that one-on-one -on -one experience? And were, were there any benefits? Were there any downsides that you saw during that process? And how did you have to adapt? Well, fortunately, I mean, because of the, the just because it was just him and I, it didn't, it, we were able to continue doing the education the way we were before. So we're really lucky that way. But it did change some of the things that we were starting to branch into. So I had been working with him for two years and then, you know, COVID happened and um, we were starting to kind of slowly segue into maybe having a class here or a class there in the school with other children, because it is really, really important, obviously, that social element. Right. Um, but it just didn't, it, we couldn't, obviously COVID happened and we couldn't do it. He also lives with other medically fragile kids. So it didn't, it was not something that we could compromise on so yeah he's missed that and I think that you know the emphasis is definitely switched to you know um, technology a lot in order to accommodate that social element and that's that's a big reason why I was so caught by this podcast because it's something that has become so much more relevant for me too right as 
you know, trying to find ways to teach, um, you know, that social interaction part without compromising health and following the COVID, you know, bylaws or laws and such. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it's tricky. It's been really tricky. Um, but like I said, not too bad, like compared to other kids who are in a classroom, right. You know, this isn't so bad for him. He's, he's been yeah. doing just fine really overall. Yeah, no, that, that's good that you were able to keep that one-on-one -on -one interaction. Um, I'm, I'm sure that helped the kids develop a lot. And if that had ta been taken away, let's say, then that would have definitely been something that would have hindered their learning almost. What do you have to say, so. Nick? Well, I actually have a, an interesting question here because uh, your path that you sh already uh, mentioned to us, Micah, it's very broad, right? Even though you are focusing in one specific uh, student right now, you jumped into several different aspects of education. And uh, I am always curious to get people's take in what is your experience? What are the, the pros in your method of education that could actually be applied into regular education? I'll just give an example before we go forward. Like Coded Minds, us, we can go, well, COVID allowing, right? We used to go into schools and we would bring technology that most teachers are not even aware of. And we would try to blend that technology into the curriculum. And I personally participated in a few of those activities before I became the head of operations. And kids would just flip that they were having a chance to, for example, build an arcade made of cardboard. You know what I mean? And then they would yep. code something in the computer and then they would be able to have an arcade to showcase to their parents. And then of course we try to build all the ideas of what is coding, what is design thinking, why you're designing your arcade like this, the project based of it. And if a teacher wanted as was that case, the game that we developed was completely based on the light and darkness in terms of what the curriculum uh, was for that specific student. So anyway, that's how Coded Mind does it, right? That's a pro. Uh, a very interesting thing that we can add to our regular education. But what about you and your experiences? What are those extra pieces that you can bring to education that can make a difference? Mm, that's a, a great question. I, I, uh, I had a meeting the other day. Uh, well, I shouldn't say the other day, a couple of months ago with, it was a, you know, a gathering of the minds discussing his growth and his progress and what we can do differently and how we can address, um, these needs and things. And I was speaking with, you know, the behavior, you know, management representative uh, for special needs learning. I was talking with, you know, the classroom teacher who would have him if he was in a classroom um, in a traditional, more traditional sense. And um, a few other people, I can't even remember all of them, but, um, you know, we got to talking about, you know, how to set up the, the his learning environment so that it was very curtailed to what he's capable of consuming in terms of what, how can I make it more visually easily accessible for him, especially when, if he's feeling more nonverbal, if he can't seem to communicate to me what he needs, or if, um, you know, sometimes it's just easier to just point at something instead of saying, go do this, you know, because it's just too many things, too many words in one sentence for some days, you know, Um that is really hard to do in a classroom of a lot of kids. You know, you do the best you can. I know because I've been there where you're trying to set up the classroom to be as, uh, you know, unoverwhelming as possible, but also enriching. And, and you know, you're always trying to find this kind of balance. And um, that is, uh, I think, part of the problem. I need to go back a bit because I think it's so unusual to have this kind of situation 
or somebody with, you know, my kind of experience and education gets to work one-on-one with a kid like him, you know, it just doesn't happen. And I think that that is the, a, a real failure in our education system, you know, that we just don't have enough manpower to actually provide the education that these kids these specialer kids, not, I shouldn't say specialer, I mean, but you know, these unique children um, that, that they, they, they just can't get in the normal education system for funding reasons, for manpower reasons, for, you know, a lot of reasons. Um, but I do think that this sort of, I think the thing that I know I will be carrying forward as much as I can is really coming from a strength-based approach. And I think is probably the underlying current that I think is the strongest thing, because if you can, if you can look at education from the perspective of strengths, then everything else just kind of falls into line. You know, you can pursue their interests, you can pursue um, education from a why does this matter to you perspective, which I think is really important. But it's really hard to do that because everybody's different. And so you've got a classroom of 35 kids who have very different opinions and thoughts on what they like or what they don't like. And that's just the way it is. I think the standardization of education works for us and against us as much as, you know, both sides. I don't know if that answers your question. I kind of, Oh no, it does. It does. Yeah, exactly. Your experience with using the strengths rather than the, the standardization would actually be something of value in any setting. I 100% agree with yes. you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can I can see a lot of situations in which just having that one-on-one connection with the child, or even if it's multiple children, just building that relationship with the child can really help them to open up, trust you, and then try new things and learn new concepts while they feel safe, which is something that's exactly. great to see exists yeah even if it's at a very small capacity right now so yeah well either you remind me of something um there was this group of kids i worked with before and they were uh they were again they were you know like the one percenters you know the the really tough tougher kids and i you know you could have them come into school and and they would come in just carrying whatever it was that they went through the night before and they're maybe they haven't even eaten You know, maybe they've had some kind of horrible fight with their parents. Maybe they were on the street all night. Like, we don't know. Right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, they'd come in and you get them to sit at the desk and you're like, okay, be ready to learn. And they're looking at their math book. Like, why the, (laughs) why should I care about this? I haven't eaten. (laughs) Like sometimes we need to take a step back and remember that these kids are not machines, um, that they're going through things and that they're experiencing things that maybe we would struggle to deal with. And then if, if you don't have that relationship piece, it doesn't matter what, we, what you put in front of them. It's not going to mean anything to them. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then maybe sure. they'll do it, but it won't, it won't carry over, you know? I think I, I think mentioned that- what I'm going to mention in a few podcasts already. But uh, at one given point, I was having a conversation with uh, some teaching friends of mine, teacher friends of mine. And uh, some of them shared the link of what we had like this big room with a lot of TVs. In each TV, you could see a student and there was a teacher in the center. And that teacher friend of mine was just like, this is the future of education. And I was just like, no, this is just how we're going to paint education. The future's education is there in the center. That's the teacher. The te- without the teacher, there's no education. And without a, a well-prepared teacher that understands what is the value of empathy, how to you know, add that extra value, for example, as a, a child with special needs, how are 
you, me, us as teachers be able to handle and to add value and to make that child's life better with the knowledge yes. that he has, right? Yes. Machines yes. cannot do that. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, some days, you know, things are rough. He has a rough day and he has meltdowns and he, when he has a meltdown, it's like biting and kicking and spitting and I hate you. And, you know, just, and then, and then meltdowns until I'm so dumb and I'm so, you know, these sort of terrible things. And if, if I can get him through a day like that, where at the end of it, he has a better plan for how to deal with his breakdown. He maybe has learned a warning sign or two for something that has triggered that meltdown or maybe maybe all we get out of it is that he is sitting at his desk again and we're coloring and he feels safe and we have now rebuilt more of a rapport if if that's all I can do that day then that's all I can do and I think that it's worth it because then the next time the next time we're more prepared and he knows that he's safe and you know that that I would say probably took a year to build that rapport with him because he'd been through so much already that he didn't know that it was okay to not be okay. That it, you know, there was this whole building back up of his little spirit to make him capable of, of learning and potentially moving forward. And, you know, he read me two books the other day and I, I almost, I almost cried. <laughs> I was so proud of him, you know, like that's like huge, you know, and, and I don't know if he would have had that. I don't know if he would have had that in school because he wouldn't have had the, he would be so distracted and he'd be so overwhelmed and he'd be always comparing himself and his teacher would be frustrated with him. And it was what learning happens in that, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not their fault. It's just, we're all so busy, you know, school classrooms are busy and there's so many children that need this attention. How can we possibly with two people in a classroom of 30 people, if you're lucky, Hey, you're talking about Canada. In Brazil, we only have one teacher, friend. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's all perspective. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, you know, I think that that is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. You bring up a really good point with how that classroom setting can be very overwhelming at times for even, even I, I don't want to use the word normal, even kids that are um, generally able to handle themselves in very stressful situations. And when you bring in someone who might be a bit more emotional or might be a bit more unique and have their own special needs, right? Um, that, that can be very tough for them to kind of figure out how to, how to deal with their emotions in that situation. And nowadays it's just getting worse and worse with the class sizes. It's more kids are being crammed into smaller classes with one teacher and that's not the teacher's fault that they can't develop that re- relationship with the child because they have way too many children on their hands at one point, right? They have way too many things to be dealing with. So I believe just adding more funding so that we could have more teachers so that we can get those relationships built, we can provide that environment where all children, not just those with unique needs, can feel safe and can feel they can have that one or two bad days without being criticized mm. or judged by their teacher all the time. So for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I think you make a good, really good point. I think that, I think that a lot of kids kind of uh, when they're the outliers like that, you know, they're the, the ones that don't quite fit. Um, they are often removed, you know, they're, they're taken somewhere else to do their work, which is understandable. Um, and 
but the result is that the mean remains, <laughs> it, it skews our learning system. You know, we're not really accurately representing the children, you know, and I, I think um, like it goes back to that whole standardization of education where it's a wonderful thing to have, but it also is kind of damaging for some of the kids who don't fit that norm. And, um, and it's frustrating for the teacher because they have, you know, 25 other children that they have to teach. And they've got this one kid who's causing everybody to become, you know, heightened or, or out of control or whatever. So they just remove them. <laughs> and, and I understand I do, but it's, it's maybe not the best system. You know, I'm, I think we're doing the best we can, but are we? There's still a know, lot of room to grow, to learn, and to improve. Yeah. And always will be. It doesn't matter what system we're going to be picking. There's going to be, again, that other side that's going to be fairly damaging, right? It's, that's right. We just have to deal with the best that we can. And private initiatives like Coded Minds or private lessons or whatnot, they try to fill the gap. That's It's how yeah. we roll this. <laughs> it's it's it unfortunate, is. but it is what it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys, we're running out of time here. And uh, Micah, again, we have so much more to talk. I'm pretty sure Ronar feels the same way. We're definitely going to be inviting you for a in-depth kind of a dive into all those situations of special needs children and strategies to share. Just because, again, I agree with you that there is not enough awareness sometimes. So I want to yeah. close... Uh, the podcast with our take-home message, but I would like you to give to our listeners a little bit of a, a resource if you have uh, something in the top of your mind. So like, hey, if you have a child like this, this is the path for you to go to seek assistance. Okay. Sure. So I'm going to start with my take-home message as usual. For me, Micah, you touch base in something that's very important. That is, it doesn't matter if you're handling a, a regular child or if you're handling a child with special needs. You need that empathy piece. You need that relationship building. And uh, for me, in my days when I was a student, for me, that was me looking up to that teacher, that educator, because educator has something more than just content, curricular content to show me. And that always touched me so hard that when I became a teacher in Brazil, I was doing the same thing for my students. So we as teachers, regardless of the student that you're trying to handle, my take-home message is you should try and go the extra mile. It's not only about the curriculum. It's about making sure that your kids, that your students, they can, again, do more. But if you are handling a child with special needs, that seems to be the main thing that you should be focusing on in order to get to the curriculum. That is important, whether we like it or not. Absolutely. What about you, Ronar? Well, yeah, my, my take-home message is fairly similar to that. Um, I really loved on how you touched on the other aspects that might be plaguing a child's mind when they come into school. Often uh, educators might not look at that as we discussed with that many children in their class. Um, they might not have the time to kind of go up to each child and ask them, oh, you seem to be very frustrated today. What is what's going on at home? Is there anything I can do to help, right? So again, building that relationship with the child, um, kind of making it so that they feel safe to discuss anything that's going on in their personal life that might be connecting to why they can't pay attention or why they're having um, fr frustration problems or tantrums, as you mentioned. Um, and that can kind of lead into how we as educators can um, address those concerns and work to um, 
almost help them learn better and kind of tailor our teaching style so that they are able to um, not only get the support that they need, but also learn key concepts that we want to get across. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it reminds me of something a good friend of mine once said, one of the first teachers that I ever worked with. And she said, you never know what the kids are actually going to be taking home. You know, you, you can teach them English and science and history or whatever until you're blue in the face. But at the end of the day, they might remember your kindness. They, re they might remember a, cer a certain thing that you said to them that you didn't even expect for them to remember. And I think that that is where the real learning is, is in those moments. And it's not so much about two plus two, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's more, so much more. Yeah, for sure. Alrighty, Micah, your wrap up then, and please, again, share some resources if you have any. Yeah, sure. Um, I think for people who um, who are who maybe have a kid at home who is struggling significantly and maybe not fitting into the classroom setting, whether it's because they're over excelling or or under excelling, I think what it comes down to is you need to reach out to your school and you need to tell uh, talk to your principal and talk to the. Um, the resources that they have, because they have them, you have to ask and you have to push because they're busy and whatever, for whatever reason, there's always, you have to be the one to push to make your kids' education work for them because they're going to do the best they can. But at the end of the day, really, the parents are responsible for making this work. And, and I think that that it means you need to go to, you find out what your resources are, find out what your options are, find out what kind of special programs that there are because there are so many different kinds of programs, really. I mean, we do have them out there. They're just not something we talk about very much. And maybe that's something that, you know, should be explored more. But I do think that, you know, finding out what your options are is the most important thing and getting as much information as you can in order to make an informed decision. You know, do a lot of, do your research online. There's a lot of information online too. I mean, as somebody who's not a, you know, traditional teacher, I've learned a lot by talking to, you know, my peers, by doing research online, by reaching out to the school board and, and having conversations with people who have different specializations. Um, and, and, you know, maybe consider a less traditional education program. Consider, you know, consider it. There's a lot of different programs. There really are. It's just, you know, even apart from the public school board system, you know, there's different ones that are um, really useful. And I think that would be really worth it to find out what your child's strengths are and find out if you can have a program based around that. And then that would be probably, I don't know if that, that really helps much. It's kind of vague, but it, it's true. <laughs> you have one you starting know. point. That's your, the school principal push yeah. up till you get whatever it's needed and do your own research because there are options mm -hmm. out there. I think that's that's, right. a, that's a great starting point, right? Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> so much information. Quickly, <laughs> just to add quickly, um, if your school has a guidance counselor, that can be a very good resource to um, to reach out to because they often have those connections with other people from other programs, and they can often provide the resources uh, for the resources that you may need for your child specifically. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And that, my friends, is a wrap. 
So I would like to thank Micah again for showing up and giving us this golden information. And we're definitely going to bring you back to talk more about this, Micah. And with that, this is Nick Satuni, over and out. And this is Ronar Qureshi, also signing off. And this is Micah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Micah. See you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye.